Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. I have a great interview lined up for you this week with super inspirational Paul Murray, who's based in Yorkshire. He and his wife, Alex, have been working on development and HMO strategies. They've taken a number of commercial properties and converted those into HMOs, or houses of multiple occupancy, and apartments. One project we speak about in depth is a chapel conversion into multiple apartments. It was not easy to get all the ducks lined up on this one, as you'll hear, and many would have walked away. But with a lot of determination, this build-to-rent project has resulted in some great monthly cash flow. We also cover lots of different things, including raising private finance, which I know a lot of you are interested in, planning overruns, managing yourself and your business, of course, and scaling up. Paul has a great story and one I can really relate to. He's a construction background, which has great benefits but also some downsides, as you'll hear. There are lots of tips and learnings in this episode, which I hope will inspire you to move to the next level. So let's welcome Paul to the show. So welcome, Paul. Thanks very much for joining us on the Commercial Property Investor podcast. I've been looking forward to it. It's been a while for us to get this one organised, but I've been looking forward to having this chat because of the projects you've been involved in. It's great to have you here. And just to give people a bit of a background, um, you know, you're being mainly in residential and also there's a sort of a contracting arm, which we're going to we're going to delve into. But maybe before we go back to the start, could you just give us a quick snapshot of where yourself and Alex are right now in terms of your property investment? Yeah, OK. So where we are at the minute, we've been investing for five years. Um, we've done some buy to let, done some HMOs, more recently commercial to residential developments. Um We've just come to the end of a couple of um, decent sized developments now, and we are just in a period at the minute where we're just regaining our breath and getting ready to go again and sort of looking um, looking towards what our different options are going forward, different strategies, et cetera, um, which is exciting times for us. It's been a while coming. So, um, yeah, we're at a good point now. We're sort of looking forward to rock and rolling and getting going again. Did you feel that you got to a bit of overload? My sensing at one point, absolutely. I mean, it, not so much from the well, it, it, it's time, it's headspace, but also financially. You know, um, no matter how much you've, you've got your funding lined up and all that sort of stuff, you're still putting your hand in your pocket, and it's it's a drain. And you get to a point where you're going, hang on, we've got quite a decent portfolio of properties. We should be feeling some of this by now. And you're sort of thinking, God, when are we going to feel it? And I think you only start feeling it when you stop. Um, so, yeah, we're getting to a point where it's just like, well, this is great. We're enjoying it. But, God, it's full on. And we were in three developments at one point um, during COVID. So, so many different elements which were having impacts on what we were doing. 
Um, but you know, we got through it. We we had stain, and um, we got through it all. And yeah, a lot of stuff that we've learned. Um, a lot of stuff we picked up. How we do things differently. But yeah, it was tough. And as I said before, it's just nice to sort of stop and breathe again and, and ready yourself for the next the next stages. I bet I bet there's a few people listening that could really relate to that and are looking forward to that stage of just it's, taking a breather. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, and you know, sometimes you think, God, is this just us? But then the more people, active people, you speak to, um, everyone goes through it, you know, and and I'm sure we'll be in it again at some point because we're going to take on stuff and there's going to be more stuff to do, especially when you're converting old buildings, as you know, it's it's not straightforward. It's not like building a new build where you know exactly what you're doing. We come across all sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's amazing how many people you speak to have been through it or in that, in that same position. It's quite nice for me now to, if people approach me and tell me where they are, I've got the experience now to say, it's all right, just hold tight, you'll get through it. Because, <laughs> because you That's do, the- you sort of question, you question what you're doing sometimes. You think, God, are, are we doing this right? Are we, are we, yeah. We we got a red screwed on, but um, yeah, it's, it's when you get through scaling. it, it is that's, it is. That's the challenge of scaling and and trying to effectively you've got to start building a team around yourself, don't you? And and then you push to the next level and and on and on it goes, depending on when you want to pause, of course. Next time, yes, exactly. And I think the key thing is having that team around you. That for me is our next steps is getting that right team. I mean. When I say the right team for me, it's that on-site delivery team to get right now. Because, yeah. um, again, that helps you scale without getting dragged into things too much. So this, this that's a really interesting point you're making there because we haven't even gone into this part of your story yet, but you, you've come from a contracting background, but now you're talking about having a team that is potentially managing the contract contracting as you being the client it's slightly slightly different position isn't it but you've got all that knowledge there of of working with subcontractors and yeah. their foibles and how they all operate and all these sorts of things that you know it's not a pretty sight <laughs> no and it's a hard transition from being that guy on site with the tools to being the client you know i remember being on site and working away and then you've got the client walking around you think oh, you know, he sort of heads down and graft and whatever, but now he's sort of, I'm there now. And, but it's good because I can relate to the lads on site. You know, I feel the pain and I, we, we always have a really good relationship with our lads on site. But, but yeah, that transition is, is difficult. And I've not been on the tools for, you know, a good four or five years. And I still jump on them now and again as I'm going to need to, but still I, I, I'm not, there's no clear cut, Def, def, definition from client and being on site where it needs to be me not picking up the tools anymore and just being the client yeah. because I'll achieve a lot more by doing that, you know. <clears throat> but at some point, and I'm in exactly the same position in that, at some point to scale to the next level beyond having your own guys managing on site is actually having a main contractor. Yes. And then you've got more of the property professionals managing them, which is another yeah, you know, scary place. But you and I both have a similar unhealthy um, love of timber and old buildings and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And the thing yeah. about those types of properties, as you mentioned earlier on, is if you really want to get the best out of them, having a main contractor makes it quite difficult because you need to have lots of change orders for when you discover something new or something old. Yeah. 
and that you can incorporate into the property and it can be quite challenging. So I'm not sure when I'm doing up old properties, I'm not sure when we'll start using a main contractor because that is that I think adds value is not having them there. So you can do that flexible stuff. Having the right team slash contractor for the right strategy um, yes. of the right buildings. Like say a new build. Yeah. You'd have a main contractor because it's, it's black and white what you're doing. But like you say, the strengths are not having a main contractor when you are converting old buildings because that's where that's where they make the money is on all the extras, changing design, this, Absolutely. that, and the other. You know, um, um, we we sort of got around a little bit of that by the first one we did. We got all the designs drawn up. It was a, the pub we, that we did. We got all the designs drawn up, and then by the time we stripped it out, we had to change it all. So. The next couple that we did, we stripped it all out and then did the design. So that got rid of a lot of the problems yeah, that we, interesting, that we yeah, had. Interesting, yeah, yeah, good approach. If you've got the a bit of luxury about time there, so so let's just let's just jump back to the start and and talk about how you actually started on the property investment side. Yeah, and and and, and why? And really, if you could maybe just talk us through that. Story that process at the start and then maybe up to where where some of those developments projects were yeah okay so about five years ago we me and my wife alex we went and got some property education um being a builder and being in the industry you always sort of thought yeah i'd love to do that but never really knew how we'd do it um and always thought right yeah you save 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 buy a house 10 years later again you save save yeah. save and buy another one and it's a bit of eye-opener of how to achieve it over a short period of time, you know, raising private finance one, which I never thought even existed. Um, and, um, yeah, just the different strategies, really. So we got educated, and then we went straight into HMOs. Um, sort of, well, I say HMOs, multi-lets, four-bed HMOs. Um, and we we did that for a few years. Now, we, we did that because... I was comfortable around the regulations and stuff like that. So we were pretty comfortable going into that. Um, when we first started, I set up a building company with um, another investor who had a lot of contacts in Hong Kong um, through property investment, etc. So we set up a building company and a sourcing company um, for HMOs in and around Leeds and West Yorkshire. So spent the last four years really smashing that um so i think we did about 250 hmos for clients whilst doing our own hmos so it sort of worked hand in hand if you like albeit i probably didn't pay my stuff enough attention as i as i should have done because we we're looking after client stuff um so we've been doing that for the last four years now i i stepped back away from that building company 12 months ago um two reasons one, I never wanted a big building company, and it was getting to that point. Um, secondly, I wasn't giving my stuff enough attention, um, and we could see that it was suffering. Um, we had a, a, a property sat for 18 months after we completed on it and not refurbed wow. it. Yeah. So, you know, that's 18 grand's worth in cash flow that we'd lost out on that property. So if that wasn't enough of a wake-up call, then I don't know what would be. Um, so that was evident with HMO. It's also evident when we um, were doing our commercial to resi stuff, we were developing an old school, which was then more recently a restaurant. 
a restaurant that I worked in when I was 14 years old, washing dishes, oh, wow. in fact. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, we ended up buying this school down in Shropshire, but it's 100 miles away from where we live. And for me to oversee that job, project management, if you like, um, for 100 miles away, it was a bit tricky considering I had a building company to look after up in Leeds. Yeah. So that was another reason why, you know, there's there's a lot of profit to be made on this development. I'm up here managing a building company, which, yeah, it's making some money, but it's not going to make as much money as this in 12 months. So, again, that was the second bit, really. HMO was suffering, development was suffering. So that sort of... If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. It made me realize I needed to step away from building company and just focus on what me and Alex were doing, um, which we did at the start of the year. We moved, well, I moved away from building company start of the year. And this last 12 months has been good because it's, I say the pressure's off, the pressure's off working for clients. Now, if you've ever worked for clients before in construction, it's an absolute nightmare. Um, now I'm the client and the developer and the builder. So I'm, I've got yeah. no one to point a finger up apart from myself. <laughs> and um, it's been good this last 12 months. It's given us a lot more headspace um, to focus on what we're doing. And it's enabled us to, um, yeah, focus more on our developments. I mean, the last the last development we've just finished now is the chapel conversion up in Halifax. It's five minutes away from where we live. Um, and yeah you can it's just so much easier to manage and be on top of the lads on site know you're around the corner so i could drop in at any time um and and really be on top of it which made a massive difference which you could tell from the first event to the second one to the third to the fourth you can see the progress in yourself um and the way that the way the project's delivered so it's been good and um probably the best thing i've ever done is is move away from a building company and just focus on what we're doing you can't just do that unless you've got, obviously, a, a, a good cash flow yeah. from your property portfolio. So it's not something you can do straight away. You know, you've got to build to it. But um, it's nice to actually be in a position now where we can do that. Yeah, it's being able to recognise that, isn't it? For me, it was a bit of an epiphany, really, because I I was working with a colleague in, in a construction company and one other company we were running between us whilst doing a CMO project and it was only when actually the financial crisis came along and I went through a process of revaluation and a couple of other things I thought hold on a minute actually I really should be concentrating on this this property stuff 
<laughs> this yeah. commercial stuff rather than this day-to-day business because it, it apart from anything else it built something that gave you recurring income which was clearly better than possibly getting paid by clients in construction or possibly not and the vagaries of that business so actually that's when i i decided hold on a minute, i need to change and, and i've never never regretted that at all i have to say yeah. so we're talking there about the chapel that's a project I want to maybe dive into a little bit more, if, if that's okay with you. Um, yeah, of can course. You just, just give us an idea, roughly, of what what size or what you've managed to develop out of it. Um, how long that project's taken? Maybe some of the some of the challenges. Yeah, of course. So we we originally looked at this property. It'd be over three years ago now um, when we first looked at it. We offered on it subject to planning. Um which is a lesson we learned from a previous um, development we did um, that we didn't. And, um, yeah, expensive holding costs for 12 months. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> so we looked at this chapel. It was um, it was about 3,800 square foot, potential of 5,500 square foot um, because it had um, like an auditorium seating around overlooking the ground floor so we obviously scoped to put another floor in so um so yeah we looked at that i did some sketches and see what we could get in there and we offered on it subject to planning for 11 apartments um so planning we got everything submitted it took six months to get it validated and then a further uh 16 months to get the planning so we're in planning for 22 months um to get this through yeah challenges left right and center obviously um interesting you probably know as well jerry you've probably experienced it these buildings are fit for nothing else apart from residential conversion so when you're getting um objections around it you just think okay well this property can just sit redundant as long as you want nothing else is going to happen with it so it's interesting you learn to work not with around your planning department in your local areas now you try and work with them um calderdale is an absolute nightmare we knew it was going to be so we sort of strapped in for a bit of a rough ride with them um we ticked all the boxes that we could do um but yeah they still wanted to oppose the development. Now they would oppose it on parking grounds. Um, it could be and have historical interest, which it didn't. It wasn't listed. It's not in a conservation area, but it could be. Um, <laughs> so just everything that you could think of that they wanted to throw in front of us, we dealt with. You know, I'm a bit of a stickler for understanding my stuff. So I won't go into anything unless I know we're going to get planning, unless there's no obvious reason for us not to get it. Um, they wanted us to reduce the scheme to five units. Obviously, that is not going to work. Um, I got on with a planning consultant who told me to withdraw the application. Um, I said, no. <laughs> I said, we need to just fight this a bit more, which I did on my own, and we got the planning. So... <laughs> It's, it's interesting. It's really interesting. You know, it's having having that right team around you, architects, planning, um, consultants, all this sort of stuff, but you've still got to own it and you've still got to drive yes. it because it's, it's mine. It's going to be mine. They've not really got 
as much interest in it as me, although they should be doing what they are qualified to do, these people. But it's that was another good lesson learned because a lot of people would have just listened to planning consultant and, and withdrawn the application and walked away from it. Yeah. So there's a lot to be said for understanding your stuff in your area before you get stuck into these things. So yeah, so planning was was a challenge. We got there. Um madly enough, they passed it with three parking spaces. We originally offered seven and then they said, oh no, we only want three. It's just like this Jeez. just makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Um so anyway we got the planning. We um during the planning process I approached um a lender for development finance. Um Roma Finance I've used quite a few times um who have been brilliant for our stuff. Um so once we had the planning in place, they were ready to rock and roll. The um they they lent sixty five percent of the GDV. So wow. we needed another hundred and fifty grand um towards a purchase. Now we used Angel Investor for that hundred and fifty grand. He'd already been into another development with us, came out the other side, got his interest paid and wanted to go again. So um so that worked quite nicely actually. So um yeah, none of our own money apart from some planning fees which I paid for prior to us starting on site. We had a six month program originally on on the build. We ended up going into month thirteen on it. Um, yeah so obviously covid had a bit of an impact materials labor etc but our biggest stickler on this development was utilities so we'd finished we'd actually finished the work um in august this year um utilities were meant to have gone in in may um and utilities went in start of December <laughs> so I'm on with um, claiming some compensation from Yorkshire Water because they're an absolute nightmare I'll be honest they basically changed their contracts that they were using for all of their work um, they took on too much work they were backlogged I think they had 1200 jobs on the go and no teams to do it so I was stuck with a building ready to be rented out, but no electric, no water. Um, so that that was hard to take, and that was pretty stressful because it meant that we went over on our development yeah. finance, loss of rent. So we it's probably cost us fifty grand with not getting the water connected on time. Um, this is another thing I learned from the first one we did was get utility sorted straight away which we did on this one. It's the first thing we got sorted. Um, I say sorted, applied for and paid. Now they sat on my money for nine months yep. without doing anything. And whenever you speak to these people, you feel like you just talk to a brick wall. You're not getting anything, no support or anything like that. So it's really frustrating and out of your hands, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And yeah, financially pretty, pretty poor to be fair, because say, so the tune of 50 grand is a lot of money to... Um, there seems to be so little accountability for utility companies. And sometimes you feel we're still 
a few decades ago where there's monopolies running utilities, it can be very, very difficult. The other one we haven't mentioned there is is um, telecoms as well. You know, yeah. I know there's one or two more ways of getting telecoms these days, but if you yeah. go to the main provider in the UK, it's basically a monopoly. In fact, yeah. a lot of them piggyback on it. It's, it's, it's frightful. Um, the state yeah. just is there a way now looking back on this project is there a way that you would tackle it slightly differently next time i mean apart from maybe even your finance side is there anything you would try and do differently i'd, I'd definitely give myself a bit more room on the bridge on the development finance we had 12 months which in normal circumstances you know you should be able to get in develop and out the back end um but it's giving yourself more time you know, you're only going to be paying interest on what you use anyway. So don't shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know if it's me being overconfident about delivery on this, but yeah, hindsight, I would have asked for a bit more um, time on that development finance. It potentially could have reduced the amount of money they were willing to give me on day one. Um, but I think it would have been worth it. Um, I've, I've got a pretty good relationship with Roma and, you know, they could have they could have stung me to bits on the back end um, if they wanted to, but we negotiated some rates um, for going over, um, which was good. You know, they it, with these develop development finance companies, you want to build a relationship with them. You want to be going back and to them all the time. So it's with their with their interest to work with me. Um, whereas some of them are a bit more cutthroat and will just, you know, they don't care. They'll take yeah. what they can off you. They're not so, well, yeah, exactly. But, you know, they we work with them. It took a bit, don't get me wrong. You know, you talk to the girls um, in admin who are just looking at a screen saying, well, no, you're defaulting. But, you know, I end up speaking to management and then the MD about a solution around this um, because we are actually refinancing with them onto a long-term project uh, product as well. Um, so earlier on in the development, they wanted to know my exit basically, and um, I sent them terms which I had from another lender, and then I like, oh, that looks pretty good. We'll match that. So it made absolute sense to me to stay with them. You know, yes. just that transition and going over from the short term lending to that long term lending just made sense. Just on the finance side, how did your private investor take the news that things were going to run on? Um. He was fine. I mean, as long as you're keeping these people up to date with what's yeah. going on, you know, they're obviously aware of what's going on with COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so as long as you're keeping people in the loop and not being quiet, as soon as you're quiet, that's when people start panicking, you know. But um, no, I kept him well informed as we were going on and he was sort of, he understood, more than happy um, to keep going with it and, I sort of knew deep down that he'd want to go again anyway, but I wouldn't. I don't like to rely on that. I like to yeah. do one, close that off, and then go again. You know, um, if at all possible. So no, he was fine. You just got to keep these people in the loop. Yeah, it's a really good tip. Yeah, if if you if there's anything like that, conversations buys you so much time. It really does. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so. It's important, I think, maybe just to point out here, this one was um, build to rent. That was your your exit poll, wasn't it? It wasn't yeah. to develop this space out, sell, take some profit, pay some tax, go on to the next one. This one was about buying, redeveloping and holding. Yeah, it was. And 
Yeah, our main strategy is income. You know, that's what we're still working on. It's just increasing that income level each month. So, yeah, for us, this was an opportunity for Alex has always wanted to do buy to lets. This is our opportunity to do buy to lets, but on a bigger scale. You know, we're doing 11 units um, and the cottage lets, also 12 units altogether. Um, So, yes, that's our strategy. Now, would I do it again? This strategy, I'm a little bit unsure. Now, we spent three years from start to finish of this, you know, so it's a long period of time. We're cash flowing just over three grand a month. So, which is fantastic, don't get me wrong. But I'd look and say, okay, what could, what else could I have done in that time period? What's the opportunity cost, yeah. Exactly. What could I have achieved in three years? I know there's a lot of other strategies where I could have achieved a lot more. However, it's cash flow three grand. It's a lovely building. Maintenance is going to be minimal because we're on top of it. Um, but also, there's a big chunk of equity locked in there, you know. So it's 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 added to our asset list, you know. Um, and yeah, it was a good experience. Um, but I just yeah, the the only question I've got around it is, would I do that one again um, for the time period it took from start to finish? You know. Yeah. I guess with my strategy, I've kind of worked out there are some that have less, just less return. So yeah. it's been able to have a criteria that separates the wheat from the chaff, the ones that are going to give you um, a three-year build time and, and, and two or 3,000 or the ones that are going to give you a year or two years, but 20,000, you know, it's, it's, trying to, yeah. it's trying to establish how those different factors work, isn't it? But once once you've, once you've done a couple, then you start to recognise, well, actually, this does work, but I just need to tweak my investment criteria to make sure that I don't take on one that's going to take as just as much time as another yeah. one that's going to give me three times the return, yeah? Exactly. You, you learn, don't you? And don't get me wrong, it's still a cracking deal. It's still good income each month and a chunk of equity locked in the building. But you do, you, you learn each time you do something. And um, we'll keep learning, you know, for, for years and years to come. It's ever changing as well, isn't it? So, yeah. But the other thing you get, Paul, the other thing you get is confidence because yes, you, you you feel right. Okay, I managed to do that one. So now you can lift your eyes up a little bit more to look beyond the horizon at something a bit bigger, don't you? And sometimes we just have to yeah. go through those steps, don't we? You do, you do, and it and it's good. It's exciting. It's stressful. It's tiring. It's draining. But you know, <laughs> you you reap the rewards afterwards. Did you, um, just out of interest, when that property was for sale, how did you yeah. find it? Was it listed on residential, on commercial? Where, where was that it one? Is, it was on Rightmove commercial. Um, so we saw it. I had a bit of a relationship with the agent anyway. So, um, yeah, we got in there and um, had a viewing on it, yeah, straight from Rightmove, basically. Brilliant. It's interesting. Go to a bid? No. So um, we offered on it, and then they came back with a counter offer, and then we met somewhere in the middle on it, um, which was good. I mean, especially when you're going subject to planning, you need to yeah. give them something. You can't. You can't. You can't offer them too low because they'll be like, well. We're going to have to wait for X amount of time before this comes in, so we may as well leave it on the market, you know. So they've got a choice to be made. 
especially when you're going for bloody 22 months of planning as well. <laughs> you know, they were they were ready to, to walk away from the deal a couple yeah, of times. They were, yeah. um, luckily, the relationship I had with the agent helped me with that yeah. um, because they were saying, no, listen, he will do it. He will get through. Because at one point, the agent said to me, are you sure about this? Because it's going on. So I said, yeah, just stick with me. And um, But they really helped in putting the the vendor's mind at rest had they not then they would have they would have walked away from it yeah oh yeah there's a lot of strain on a deal like that it's taken that long did um yeah did the agent you were dealing with did they have predominantly a commercial portfolio or were they dealing with resi as well what was no so they have um they've got a commercial armed named one company and they have got a residential but it's named something else um right. so the commercial agent is just strictly a commercial agent, if you like. Yeah. Okay. And how did you find dealing with them to start with? Oh, fantastic. Total, totally different to residential agents. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're willing to help you. They will go into the numbers. They will um, they'll work with you because the thing with commercial stuff, it's worth what it's worth from a commercial point of view, if you like. Um, whereas resis, it's... it's yeah, it's a minefield around resi and valuations, isn't it? You know, and what things are worth. Um, the pressures are different as well. The honesty and truth which comes out of the agent's mouth is a lot different. You know, commercial agents are just open up front with you. You know, there's no bullshit. Um, they'll even tell you where you need to be on your offers. Um, they're just so much more helpful in every way. They're so much more easy to, to work with. Sounds like you've hit a, a good seam there. You need to mine that because because a few 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 of the listeners are maybe more of my camp, which is sometimes the agents can be a little bit tricky to actually get them to uh, respond to things. But it's great you find somebody there who's got a relationship, and I think that's that's the thing we all have to strive for is one or two agents that are building a relationship with you. So if at least there's deals that are circulating between the agents that aren't strictly on the market, you get to see them. Yeah, we get we get sent them. I'll get a phone call prior to them going on the market and just say, we've got this coming on. This is the overall idea of it. What do you think? Um, yeah. They'll come to me because they know I'm a sure thing as well. You know, if I say I'm going to do something, I'll do it. Um, and I'll make sure it happens. Now, for them, that's great for them because when they're reporting back to the client, it's not something they don't know and they're not sure if things are going to happen. They know full well that if, if Paul's buying this thing, he's going to do it. Yeah. Um, which is why which is why they'll keep coming back to me with stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting that you, you say that because that really just reaffirms that point of agents that don't know you and don't know that their the potential buyer are a bit sometimes suspicious. They've got their network of people they already deal with, which you're now in. Um, where they feel they're in more firm hands and they can trust people to get on with what they say they're going to do. The challenge for those that are just getting started is trying to get yourself into that into that space. And and I think one of the big things you have to do is just be patient, give yourself yeah. time to do that. But don't don't um, forget that a lot of your experience in residential counts. It's not for nothing. You're not starting from scratch. Here we go all again. You know. So yeah, when you yeah. when you contacted this agent, um, had you dealt with them before this project came up? Yeah, I'd not bought anything through them, but um, 
I've been to see stuff with them. Um, I had a, I looked at quite a few properties with them and built up a relationship just through that because I'd go and say, well, it don't work or, you know, or it's only worth this. Yeah. They, they can tell by the conversations you have in with them that you know what you're doing. Yes. Um, which made a massive difference. And then obviously getting that one over the line, doing what I said I was going to do, it just helps that relationship build, you know. Sure. So now, now they're going to hopefully bring you more deals. Um, yes. What, what are your plans now? You've got this bit of a hiatus right now, bit of a reset. Maybe you yeah. maybe need more time to think about what what your your plans are. But do you have some some things you want to get done this year? Yeah. So we're we're having a bit of a reset. I have got um, a couple of things in the pipeline from last year. So I've got a couple of new builds to build. Um, I've got HMO to do and a cottage to convert, so I'll convert to renovate. And then I'd literally this morning just agreed heads of terms on a grade two listed building in the centre of Leeds. Nice. Which, subject to planning, we're looking at the options on either doing 15 apartments or doing 15 SA units. Mm-hmm. So what I would probably do is get the planning and flip it. So do a planning gain on it. Depending on what the numbers are looking like, um, if the numbers are looking meaty enough to um, develop on the resi side, then I'll develop it and sell. Nice. And not then, keep... um, no, no. I think we this year we're going to start working on more capital strat- strategies. Yeah. Um, we want to get into commercial properties as landlords. Yeah. So that the commercial stuff will start becoming our income stream. Resi stuff will become more of a capital strategy for us. Yes. That's either via planning gains or developing. Um, so, yeah, not so much keeping on the resi stuff. I think just as the chaplain in, in my head, you know, you do all that work and you're getting that much money and you think, okay, let's look at different ways we can generate that sort of income. Um, the thing about resi, of course, of course, is that, you know, the – the ROI that's expected on res is quite a bit lower than commercial, so and and it's quite tight. So when you do all that work, you get a relatively small cash flow out of it for a lot of capital. So it is Correct. it is it is difficult to not look at the opportunity cost and therefore sell or exit, unless of yeah. course you can refinance at a high level and the numbers still work. But it's that challenge about the fact that your ROI might be well certainly sub ten. But it you know might be quite low digits. Whereas if you release that money and go and do your your next deal and invest in some of those cash flows a lot higher, you can see why people would be tempted with that. But it's yeah. healthy to have a good balance, I guess. It is, and it's it's nice to have a balance and say so nice to sort of reset and look at our options in front of us and what do we want to achieve income wise this year? What do we want to achieve from a capital point of view this year? You know, we have got properties which we can sell to raise capital you know we've got quite a chunk of equity sat in a couple of developments that we've done which we had planned to sell but then end up keeping so again it's just looking at those options and go right that's what we're going to do that's what we're going to do yeah. um, so it's exciting for us it really is great that's excellent so anyone that's just starting out on this process and you've come through from res and you're talking about going more and more into commercial from a lettings point of view but You've come at it from a contracting point of view. So if somebody else was in a similar sort of shoes, Paul, what, what would you suggest to them? What was the catalyst to make that change for you? 
From resi to commercial, you mean? Well, from somebody who's perhaps in your background, I mean, I, 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 I feel we've got you know some comparables in that you know you did a lot more contracts than I did, but nevertheless, we both like rolling our sleeves up and getting involved and doing dirty projects. But for yeah. you to make that change in your mind about right, I'm going to stop doing this now, or at least I'm going to start weaning myself off it to do more investing and become the client. What are some of the tips you yeah. maybe say to somebody looking at that? It's, you're going to need to make sure you've got the right team around you to enable you to do that. Because if you're not, who is? And I think that's key. Um, it's having the right people to step in to do that hard work. It then gives you focus on what you should be doing. It then enables you to do more stuff as well. You know, you're not getting sucked in. Um, I'm a control freak. I feel like I need to be doing everything, getting stuck into everything. So there's a lot of work you need to do on yourself, depending on what your persona is like, obviously. But you need to make sure you're strict on yourself. Make sure you are focusing on those tasks that you should be doing, other than getting stuck in, getting involved in all of the day-to-day <laughs> grind of it all. Um but yeah, I think the key thing is having the right team to enable you to do that. Um, okay. And that, that can be your site team, your contractors, but, or it could be a project manager who's overseeing all of your jobs, you know. Um, but it's finding the right people. And it, sometimes it's difficult to find those people or, or it takes a long time to find those people. So it could be a bit of a long transition to do that. What did you find were the mental blocks? Because you mentioned that you guys... You had an interesting route. A lot of people go through buy to let. You went yeah. straight for information and training and then straight into yeah. HMOs. What, what, yeah. what was the thinking behind that? Um, income, you know, um, the amount of cash flow, positive cash flow you can get from HMO is, you know, five times as much as you can from a buy to let for the similar amount of work needed. Um, as I mentioned before, we do four, uh, three and four bed multi-lets. So from a scale point of view, there's not much difference to that, to doing a buy-to-let. However, we cash flow between a grand and 1,500 quid a month from a from a four bed HMO. Whereas if you just turn that into a buy-to-let, you might be getting 250, you know. Yeah. So for us, it just speeded up that process to get to that level of income we that we wanted to achieve. Um, it's not advisable, I guess, to do that. But with my background, understanding the rules, regulations around fire and um, all that sort of stuff that you need to be implementing on the HMOs, and we're pretty comfortable in doing that. Great. Okay. So um, knowing what you know now about what you've been through and where you are at this point, what is there anything you would maybe tell your younger self when you started this process? Um, you go through it all the same way. A bit of a mix, I think. I, I would, I would definitely do some of it the same way. I think I would have, I wouldn't have got so sucked into building company as much as I did. Um, that had a massive impact on our ability to grow our own portfolio. So, as good as it was for income, it it hindered our other income streams if you like yeah so i would have concentrated more on that in order to me for me to do that though i would have had to have raised more private finance you know t- to fund the developments because we self-funded quite a few of them you know um yeah. but it would have been so much easier 
to raise more private finance to look after everything that we wanted to do, you know. So that that's a big one for us. That was a big blocker for me originally was, was raising private finance. Um, it's, it didn't seem natural. It didn't seem the way to do it when we first started off. But as you get into it and then you realise actually this isn't possible without raising private finance. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then when you go through it and then you pay your investors back with their interest and see how happy they are, then you're like, oh, wow, this is actually something that really that really benefits us and, and our investors as well. So, yeah, I think the two things really would be not to, not to have got sucked into the building company as much as I did. Um, I'm a sucker for if I'm going to do something, I'll do it. So I'm committed, you know, which is a bit of a downfall sometimes. That would have been the first one. And then, yeah, the raising the money would be the second one and talking right. to more people. I uh, I agree with that raising finance thing. I mean, it's only really recently I've been looking at significant private finance to do deals without the banks, whereas traditionally yeah. I just didn't really occur to me. Yeah, I was doing some private finance, but only here and there. And it's yeah. only when that you you get that shown to you that the kind of lid comes off, doesn't it? On it what's does. Possible. Well, the thing with private finance as well, there's so many so far less hoops to jump through. You know, you go down lending through an institution, then you've got to jump through so many hoops to get that lending. Yeah. If you can build a relationship with some private finance, uh, sorry, private um, investors, yeah, you're still going to do the security, but you're still going to get the security, you're going to loan agreements and that sort of stuff. But it cuts all the bullshit out of it. You know, they can see what you do and they've got security over that development, then it's, it's so much easier to do that. 100%. Yeah. Great. Paul, thank you so much. And for talking us through that, that process you've been through. It's really interesting. I, I, I love doing up old buildings, so I really like listening to stories of other people doing up old buildings as well. If anybody wants to follow what you're up to, do you have any social media places they can maybe find you, Paul? Yeah. So I'm not that active on social media, probably not as much as I should be. And Probably should be one of my goals this year to get a bit more active on it and show people what I'm doing. But um, I'm on Instagram, um, Paul Murray Developer, if you want to find me on there. And if there's any questions or you'll know anything about me or what I do, then feel free to get in contact with me. Right, brilliant. Thanks so much. We'll pop your um, Instagram handle on uh, on the show notes so people can follow you if they wish to. Cool. So thanks very much, Paul. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing how you get on this year. Yeah, definitely, and I'm sure we can it very soon. Anyway, you said you've got, you know, you know, just a couple of things. It sounds like you've got a full plate already. It does. It it should hit my capital um, goal this year for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and cool. then let's see what else um, we can pick up on the way that's less demanding on our time and efforts. Brilliant. Best of luck, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Right, you too. Take care. I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much, Paul, for taking some time out of your busy schedule to share with us some of the things that you've learned over the last few years. I learned quite a bit from that interview and it also made me reflect on my own activities. We all have our own challenges that are unique to us, of course, or at least the combination is unique to us. And what might be your strength may be somebody else's weakness. So I guess it's important not to compare ourselves, but to take inspiration from those that are overcoming those obstacles and getting better and better in themselves. Just before... I close out this episode, during the interview, Paul mentioned another project that they were hoping to secure, and just 24 hours ago they managed to secure a beautiful building in Leeds. So I want to wish you both the very best of luck with that project, and hopefully we might have another interview to catch up with you to see how that one goes. 
If you're interested in finding out any more about commercial property and all the things that we do here at CPI, then pop into the show notes and you'll see a link to our website, commercialpropertyinvestor.co.uk, with lots of free stuff, blogs, videos and things on there. There's a lot of things that might help you get started with your commercial journey. For those of you who don't know, we also have a Facebook group, which is exclusively for commercial property investors, or at least for those that want to be commercial property investors. That's facebook.com forward slash commercial property investor. I'm going to sign off now, and I really look forward to speaking with you on the very next show. Mm-hmm.